Welcome to Artscoping. I'm your host, Max Anderson. The museum was deeply engaged, of course, in the exploration of historic American art, but also in the living artist world. That's Dr. Andrew Walker, director of the Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth, Texas, since 2011. Under his leadership, the Carter's collections and endowment have expanded significantly, and the museum's internal galleries have been renovated and reimagined to improve visitor experience and to emphasize a thematic presentation connecting artists and works through time. He has also expanded the Carter's exhibition program to include site-specific installations by living American artists. He received his B.A. from Bowdoin College and his Ph.D. from the University of Pennsylvania, serving as Associate Curator of American Art at the Art Institute of Chicago and moving on to Director of Collections and Conservation at the Missouri Historical Society, followed by six years as Assistant Director for Curatorial Affairs at the St. Louis Art Museum. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Max. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Same here, and I know you're in Fort Worth, traditionally warm this time of year. How are yes. you doing, and how's the city doing as the pandemic is receding in much of the country? Well, at the museum, at the Amon Carter Museum of American Art, we are doing great. I've noticed the return of traffic, so I believe that if that's any indicator of people's willingness to get out and return to something that recognize or resembles some normalcy, that is an indication. I think that we are moving towards being beyond the, the hard part of the pandemic. And the museum has got footfalls, I'm assuming. Yes, we do. You know, the state of Texas reopened so early back in May of 2020, we, um, and that our colleagues across the state began to develop plans to reopen. We have been reopened since June 19th of 2020. And so for the past year, we've been continuing to serve our community through both virtual and in-person programming. And now we're back to full capacity and have made with the honor system of being vaccinated, we've lifted our mask mandate so that people are able to enjoy themselves unencumbered in, in that respect. And we're beginning to resume more in-person programming later in this summer and fall. We're still taking a rather conservative approach to that aspect of our work. But it's great to see visitors in the galleries. Virtual programming is really valuable, at, obviously, at connecting people. And we've learned a ton over the past 18 months in that regard. But I think, as you'll agree, you can never really re replicate the experience of seeing art in person. So that being said, we know that the pandemic is not over and we're continuing to monitor the situation and to follow health and safety recommendations of the CDC and will adapt our policies accordingly if necessary. And for those listeners who have not visited the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, there are very few metropolitan areas in the U.S. with such a concentration of major collections. I'm curious, Andrew, thinking pre- and post-pandemic, how big a factor for you is cultural tourism, or are you all more focused on regional audiences these days? Well, that's a great question. And we are, as an institution, very aware of how fortunate we are to have such a wealth of cultural institutions in our backyard. It's really kind of a rare circumstance in Fort Worth to be able to jump from modern and contemporary experience at the modern to an early European uh, experience and 
ancient experience at the Kimball to our focus on American art. It's kind of like having an encyclopedic museum through three museums connected in a beautiful landscape space. And that replicates in Dallas as well, as, as you well know, with not only the Dallas Museum of Art, but the Nasher and the Crow to kind of bring communities together. So we're super aware of that opportunity that we have. And as the pandemic begins to subside in its pressures, noticing that people are beginning to return through their travel. So we're always aware of our cultural tourism in that regard. And that's something that the city of Fort Worth has put a great emphasis on pre-pandemic in their planning through the municipal activities of our, what we call Visit Fort Worth, which is our cultural center. Post-pandemic, you know, we're, we're going to have to restart that engine um, simply because of the time lag that it will take for people traveling to our city and our region and certainly to Dallas, which I think gets a little bit more tourism than Fort Worth does. That being said, it's super important and something that we've focused on both pre and post pandemic to connect with our local community and to ensure that our Texas audiences feel that the Carter is a place for them, their hometown museum. Our listeners may not know that the museums in Dallas, Fort Worth, apart from the modern are free to the public. And that's an interesting phenomenon, which plays into the topic of tourism, because for you, it's not existential that you have more throughput of bodies to make yourselves whole. But what's in the water in North Texas? Why are you all free apart from the water? <laughs> it's a, you know, it is a real it is a real positive aspect to visitation. And I think it's something that through both Dallas and Fort Worth, there's been, you know, over time, right, a deep commitment to that notion that the experience of our creative expression over time is something that that doesn't have to come at a price for entry. The free aspect, I think, has been something that has brought a uniqueness to, certainly in Fort Worth, the ability to advertise that sense of inclusion. For us at the museum, as you well know, we're an organization that is founder-based. So Eamon G. Carter Sr., the individual who brought so much to bringing Fort Worth's municipal identity, a kind of very modern identity in the 20th century, when he was moving towards the end of his life, he left instructions in his will that the museum was to be free. And that has continued to be a cornerstone of our mission over the past six decades. We're, we're super grateful this year to be celebrating our 60th anniversary. And that notion of free has been a real commitment to the community for access that we maintain. We will always maintain in, in, in terms of the instructions from our founder. And I'm really proud to live in a community that values arts and culture and also believes that price should not be a barrier to that access. And it has an effect on donors, on patrons, on collectors, does it not? It's one of the reasons photography is among your greatest strengths, is extraordinary collecting habits and support. Tell us a little bit about that photography collection. How do you reach audiences through displays and online? When I came ten now 10 years ago to the community here to provide leadership for the organization, even I, as a you know longtime museum professional, as well as a trained art historian, didn't quite have an appreciation for the depth of that commitment to 
the medium of photography in the museum's history. And we as a museum have engaged with photography as both a documentary medium and as an art form, which is really quite remarkable since the opening of the museum in 1961. We were actively acquiring photographic works well before the rise in popularity in the art market. We internally talk a lot about how similar to the Museum of Modern Art in New York, which also had begun a fairly early program in photography as a fine art, our sense of the medium began simultaneous with the great leadership of that institution in New York. The Carter has since become one of the country's foremost repositories of American photography with a collection, believe it or not, of over 45,000 exhibition quality photographic prints and over a quarter of a million photographic objects, including the archives of seven noted American photographers. So it has been kind of in our DNA from the very beginning of the organization. And we've found over time, and certainly more recently, that that medium has been attractive for a variety of reasons as a way of finding identity for people's personal lives within that medium and the process that it often brings to the visiting experience. So we mount several photographic exhibitions each year, and these range from solo artist-focused shows like our most recent exhibition of Mitch Epstein's work to broader exhibitions that bring together works from our collections and loans to tell different stories about American photography as a medium, but also about community values. We're currently working, and this is super exciting, for the museum on a soon-to-be-announced exhibition that focuses on the work of indigenous photographers that will open late next year. Not long after you became director at the Carter, Ruth Carter Stevenson passed away, and yes. with her went a long tradition, and you were obligated to reimagine the museum in very fundamental ways. How did you go about that? How would you describe some of what changed? It has been one of the most significant challenges within sort of change culture that the museum has experienced really in its history. Of course, the vision and goals that the Carter family set out from the very beginning, and in particular, Ruth Carter Stevenson's vision. She was our president of the museum for her entire life since the opening of the museum in 61. It's over 50 years that she provided really directive leadership, built a great board early on to help understand the professional practices that were really beginning to bring into focus in that period from the 1960s forward. I mean, I would argue that that period of time has really been about the institutional professionalization of museums in a very specific way. She found leadership in her own willingness to work with the field in a, in a broader sense. So the museum had the, the advantage, Max, at that time to, to not have to have a board that was a fundraising board. It really became a, a board of expertise that helped to build best practices. And the way I have often described it is it went really from an idea that her father had, Eamon Carter had, to an institution of international significance with best practices, with a professional staff that brought to bear not only the um, opportunity for people visiting the museum to experience American creativity, but to be knowledge creators for so many of its early decades was championing and innovating 
the exploration of American creativity through its exhibitions, but also significantly through its publications. But of course, just as Ruth helped the Carter evolve during her own lifetime, we have continued, as you've suggested, to adapt to the changing needs of our visitors and of the field. That change, when Ruth passed, was really about establishing a new culture of work where the direction of the president of the board receded a bit and the board took on a different kind of professional activity that was about providing direction in a broad sense, kind of from that 30,000 foot level and where the professional staff has really taken on a level of, of deep agency. We feel very strongly in a kind of shared authority model, Max, within the professional staff. So that there, I always say there's a two steps away from anybody in the museum to our senior leadership. And that's represented more adventurous programming in part. Oh, 100%. The one way I refer to it is a kind of continuance of legacy, which is from those early days, the museum was deeply engaged, of course, in the exploration of historic American art, but also in the living artist world. Although that became less important in the kind of middle decades of the museum's history, Really, since Ruth's passing, we've re-engaged that aspect of our work so that we're not only looking historically at the experience of American art, but we're also connecting that history to contemporary expressions. One of the things I'm most proud of for the museum, not that we're trying to be a contemporary art museum, but that we understand the historic narrative has relevancy in so many important ways with the issues that we encounter today. Andrew, has that meant a change in your audience composition? What has it led to? You know, it has. I think there's an understanding of that traditional audiences that have often marked the demographics of museums if we did nothing. (laughs) So, you know, people who are, are already invested in art for whatever reason, whether they're collectors, they're appreciators, whether they're, you know, deeply engaged in a particular belief, that art has this ability to touch deeply within not only experience, but perhaps even something a little less tangible. And I find this super significant for the Carter because our narrative is so deeply connected to the history of the country. And therefore it's both regional, national and global implications that we have a opportunity to attract audiences that are looking for narrative experience, let's say, in the American experience from many different points of view. And so, you know, not only over, over the time that, that I've been here, but certainly even before, there's been a real sense of looking at audience segmentation from the point of view of not only typical demographic issues, in other words, underserved audiences, individuals who haven't traditionally come to museums, but also people who are looking to connect to a narrative that is about our social experience in the country. And speaking of that, the field of American art is very much up for debate. As you know, the Seattle Art Museum recently received a million dollars from the Mellon Foundation to rethink the presentation of the permanent collection there to introduce what it calls the hidden histories of black and brown people. So as a museum dedicated exclusively to American art, what have the conversations at your curatorial meetings been like since George Floyd's murder? Well, there's a great awareness within the professional staff of the broad inclusiveness that the story 
of American experience tells. The canon has been a very strong narrative anchor for art history in general. In many respects, that as it gets deconstructed or opened up to not be so authoritative, our curatorial and education staff has embraced the notion of access and inclusion that underlies our model of free. And certainly over the past decade, our museum has placed increased emphasis on the important work of telling more diverse and wide-ranging stories of artists in America throughout our collection and rotating exhibition program. Looking for ways to fill gaps in our collections through acquisition, I think that's a programmatic aspect that many museums have been championing over the last, at least, right, Max, the last decade. It's not a new narrative in the the understanding of of how the collection needs to be more reflective of the broad base of community and their experience, not only in their own lives, but as historical agents in many regards. And we've also expanded our funding for collecting works by BIPOC artists, including museum initiatives established in February of last year specifically devoted to collecting photography by contemporary Indigenous artists. We're also working on several upcoming exhibitions focusing on artists who have been historically underrepresented in American art. Projects that were in the works prior to the events of last summer, of course, but have a different maybe sense of urgency. Andrew, what have the conversations at the board table been like around these kinds of programmatic initiatives? It's been super reinforcing of the commitment of the board to that mission that is about unfettered exploration. Programmatically, Max, I think you had this experience in your own career, is one way that an institution can address equity and inclusion. And then it becomes the responsibility not only of the leadership and staff at the museum, but also, importantly, the board to look at how it extends beyond program to the way that we actually operate the business. And that has been deeply embraced by the board, whether that's in hiring practices, whether it's in pipelining underserved audiences and in the professional sense, so that we're taking a responsibility not only to tell the stories on our gallery walls and in our collection growth, but also in the way that the institution acts professionally. For me, that's the more significant impact and lasting, sustainable change rather than just ticking off a box. To that end, Andrew, you have a compelling show right now of photographs by artist Anmile titled Anmile on Contested Terrain. Having lived through the Vietnam War, she captures in over a hundred photographs much of what that conflict entailed together with other adumbrations of military strife and its impact on civil society. What led you to present the exhibition and what's the reaction been locally? Part of it has been the commitment of and the responsibility of the institution in the photographic medium, right? To look for the best shows that are capturing both the single artist vision, the kind of retrospective notion, as well as broader understandings of the medium's impact in storytelling. And so the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh organized this particular project and our curatorial staff who are responsible in principle for the photographic exhibition program 
saw this as a significant exhibition from many different points of view, not only as a female artist whose work consistently over her career used the medium to explore significant issues, particularly around the military, whether it's been in the reenactments of the Vietnam War, which touches deeply on her own personal experience, but also looking at the agency of military activity, both in a performative and in a real sense over the course of her own explorations through series. And so it's given the museum the opportunity to see the the elasticity of the medium, to really delve deeply into circumstances such as war that deeply impact our cultural experience as a nation, but also as a player on the global stage. And the response has been super strong over the course of the exhibition as it's run so far. In the time that it has been on view, and this is super interesting, Max, we've had strong reaction. I mean, the numbers, we'd always like to be better, but we're you know in this pandemic situation. So it's been a growing sense of awareness. But because it has such emotional impact in the subject matter that Amile has addressed, we're finding like we have in many other of our photographic exhibitions, this deep awareness of identity through the medium to personal experience. So there's been a lot of emotional reaction to the exhibition as we can track it, whether it's through feedback in a kind of organized way through backend surveys, but also just people leaving their expressions in the way that the exhibition allows that to happen. Like the Whitney, like the Butler, like a handful of museums, you're dedicated to American art. And the Whitney struggled and continues to wonder, what does it mean to be American in its art? How does the Carter look at, how do you look at boundaries around artists who are American slash appropriate for your program? I've been super proud of colleagues throughout the institution over many years now. We have in our vision that creativity in America is broad ranging without boundary in the sense of how people identify themselves as American citizens or as immigrants, often in a hyphenated way, that have come to find new and challenging ways to present stories that are unexpected. We've had exhibitions, especially in the photographic realm, that have really stretched beyond what the medium of photography might be able to be defined many of these photographers come from broad diversity in their experience, whether they're immigrants to this country or whether they're children of immigrants. Creativity and depth of experience is not limited by any narrow understanding of what it is to be an American. So much attention these days goes to temporary art experiences, not even exhibitions, but projections and installations and site-specific commissions often leaving permanent collections languishing. How is the Carter adapting to the changing tastes of art audiences in this regard? That has been super important. I don't know if you'll remember in 2019, just before the onset of the challenges of of 2020, the museum had completed a major renovation of its galleries and all of its public spaces, which has really led to an expression physically to the very notion that you're pointing towards, which is if we believe that demonstrating the broadening significance of museums for communities that have different reasons for experiencing creativity, that a lot of that requires a kind of 
immersive and participatory framework for our guests and our visitors who come for whatever reason. The collection at the Carter is so broad, medium-based. In other words, it's painting, sculpture, but also all types of works on paper, including photography. We've taken the approach that we don't segregate in the galleries those medium-specific aspects. So it's really you're getting to see visual culture of America presented in the galleries side by side. And the way that this happens for the curators and therefore for our public is that those galleries in the permanent collection rotate every four to six months, bringing what we call focused and extended views that will take in a historic gallery and bring contemporary work into it, whether it's lithographic, photographic, painting, sculpture, something that makes that belief that history matters in the lived experience of contemporary life. You can come to the Carter every four to six months and you will see the permanent collection having changed. There'll be something new to experience and not just, oh, we brought out that great work that doesn't get out very often, but it's meant to spur conversation, whether it's in a formal aspect of a tour or individuals just having conversation within the galleries being jarred by something that they might not have expected to see. It's been super successful as we've been able to chart it. We need more time to see how it's actually impacting the visit that people have because largely of the pandemic. We just got it started and then, you know, everything sort of changed in our world. But we believe in it and we've continued to do it throughout this entire time of unusual visitation patterns. And that really coincides with over a much longer period now of bringing in living artists in immersive experiences so that the museum is engaging the living artist world, but with a particular lens that is about that connection between history and today. Andrew, what an exhortation to our listeners to come visit. I thank you so much for making time for the conversation today. It's really been a pleasure, Max, and it's so good to hear your voice. We've been listening to Dr. Andrew Walker, director of the Eamon Carter Museum in Fort Worth, Texas. If you liked what you heard, leave a rating and review at Apple Podcasts, which helps other listeners find their way to us.